0: What is up everybody? Welcome to the Halftime Snacks Podcast. This show features short interviews that you can listen during the halftime of your favorite sports events. Every Tuesday I host fun conversations with talented people in the sports industry where we'll learn from their stories, knowledge, and experiences. So go grab your favorite snack and come snack with us. Are you ready? Let's go! today's Halftime Snack, we're hosting a massive guest. She is the Director of Business Operations at SportsThread. Not only she was the first hired employee there, but for over five years, she has executed multiple roles in diverse areas such as social media, revenue operations, media relations, partnerships development, and more. SportsThread is the social media app for athletes. It has over a million people in their network and it now ranks as a top 50 sports app in the app store. Our guest has been an essential piece of the Lego to build and develop the network and software that brings several solutions to the sports industry. Such a pleasure to share the mic with her. Ladies and gents, Lauren Knight Hughes.
1: (laughs) Hey Ronan, thank you for having me.
0: No, Lauren, thank you for taking my invitation. We're going to have something very special today because never before we hosted a uh, guest that can speak Spanish. And this is my native uh, language. No. <laughs> so my icebreaker for you is going to be in Spanish. Of course, we'll translate right after so that everyone knows what, what the hell happened. But uh, So this is the question, okay? ¿Cuál es, Lauren, tu bebida favorita para tomar en un partido de fútbol?
1: Oh, uh, no me gusta beber. Um for me solo soda water <laughs> <laughs> or oh, um Coca-Cola. See
0: sí. <laughs> Okay, so I asked what is your favorite beverage to drink at a sports game and Lauren said that she doesn't drink, but if she'll drink she's she's gonna drink some water or some Coca Cola. That's yep. awesome, Lauren. Yep. <laughs> um we hosted <laughs> Uh, Sean who's the CEO of sports Thread a while ago and if you guys want to learn more about SportsThread uh, I suggest you guys check out that episode but Today we're gonna be speaking with one of the most essential elements for its development, which is Lauren and Lauren, let's fir- let's first of all start off with talking about what is what it means to work at a startup so my question is, what was the first moment you realized that working in a startup was nothing like you had before, nothing like you experienced before or nothing like you even expected before?
1: I remember um, being in college and thinking about what career I wanted. Um, I studied international relations this is a while ago, obviously. But uh, in school, it's very much, you know, you go to class, you take the test and you pass the test and then you go to the next semester and it's kind of in that order, obviously. Um, When I got into a startup, all of a sudden, it was kind of like my true uh, self came to life because there was no blueprint. Um, There wasn't a somebody telling you how to do it. You know, you just... Are told what to do by your superiors, right? Unless unless you own the business, but you're told what to do. And what's interesting about being in a startup is you're sort of building a business without any of the liability attached to having it be your own. Uh, when I was hired, it was, you know, figure it out, learn, do. here's the basic foundation, go figure it out. And I remember being an intern and just being excited because I could, it was sort of like a playground. To just build and and learn how to do it for myself.
0: Yeah, I also remember the first time that I I worked at the at the startup back when I was living in Israel. That you really have to like build your own path, and that's like kind of scary because yeah. at least in my experience, it was scary because. Um, you don't really know what bridge to put in the path or what is the right direction to take right you just have to try and fail super quickly so i guess that my lesson then was to find find out or figure out how to iterate super quickly to just know if something that i did uh was a mistake or not very fast so that i cannot like carry it any longer um but I guess, I mean, it's super interesting that you've been one of the first, really, or even the first employee, full-time employee to, to work with them. Um, so you've seen it grown. Uh, I mean, it, it has been a long way, but uh, also a, a big way. Uh, it's, it's a big uh, company now. Um, and SportsFit has, as I mentioned in the intro, is managing over you know, a million people in their network. So you've seen it really grown. And so, I want to know if you can share with us maybe a couple of challenges that you've seen or things that you faced as a team, right? To uh, to grow the team and how has Sports Thread really, or how have you learned to overcome those challenges? If you can share with us a couple of couple of stories, maybe or things that you 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 consider are really important while growing a team.
1: Yeah, another really good question. Um... When I started out there, it was just myself uh, and the CEO and the director of sales, so it's just us three. Um, and then we hired on probably a year later another person, and then if, you know a few more slowly after that. Um, what I think is something that I've seen be really essential in a team is the 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 person kind of leading the force, whether that is the CEO, in which case this would be Sean, or the lead, the, the head of the department, which over time became me in certain departments. Uh, and those types of people have to be able to have kind of the, the vision that's not real yet. Um, and they have to see that you're doing things today and you're placing processes and systems in place today that will be used by maybe 10 people right in the next few months instead of just one. So it's been really great. And I think extremely important to have that one person that has that vision of what, like, you know, what this department's going to grow to in a year. And then second to that, and, you know, as important are the people that'll actually do it. Um, because sometimes you'll see people that are really good at, they have an amazing idea and ideas are great and everybody can have great ideas. Um, and, and they're good ideas and they have a plan for how it gets done, but then those executing the plans aren't always the idea people, but they're the ones doing the system. So I think, uh, that has been really important, for, for just like from the beginning, having that vision, because unless you have the vision, it's so hard on the day-to-day that it would be easy to stop. Um, the other thing that's interesting, I think, is to to look at um, sort of everybody being on the same page as far as what your what your company's doing over the next three to six months, um, if not a year. But Maybe the next three to six months, because unless you really are airtight on that kind of stuff, it's easy to just get pulled in so many directions. Um, so, when we began, you know, we didn't have departments. <laughs> we were so small that there weren't departments. So we've really just built them over time, and that came from deciding as a unit, okay, now we're gonna we're gonna build partnerships. And you have one person do it and then they teach a second person. And then those two people do it very, very well and they teach two more people. And those four people teach four more people, right? Um, and then all of a sudden you have a partnership department but everybody's on the same page with that's what we're doing right now. And something that my boss often says is it's easier to modify than it is to create which she's absolutely right. If you can get one process down and one system down You can take that to another department uh, with everybody having the same goal and just scale much more quickly because everybody knows what they're doing in those three, six months and they're focused and they're getting it done. That's something that I thought was really key because like you said, in startups, you don't have a blueprint, you know, and often you're so autonomous that you could probably get away with thinking you're doing a lot in the day, but you're not actually producing. So you have to be really focused that makes
0: sense. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, so many comments here. Uh, I'm going to try and 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 just put out the the best ones that come to mind. Um, I think that to edit is easier to than to start something or to create something. I I think it relates really to done is better than perfect. And I guess that when you have a founder that is not a perfectionist or someone that is, you know, very very specific on how things are need to be done, and he he can have this flexibility. And I also mean this for you. I don't mean mean it only for Sean. But when you when you're developing new things, me as a content creator, I can tell you that being a a perfectionist is really just your only enemy, because else you'll never finish right you you can spend years or months or even weeks uh, on a specific project and and never really launch it so I, I guess that's that's a key area and the second the second comment that i want to make uh, Lauren and i also want to hear your opinion is is that it's so much easier to really translate cor- a, a corporate culture and the identity of a company when when you're small but it's not as easy as easier or or not as simple to do it while you're growing the company, right? Out of a sudden, okay, you 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 get two or three new new employees, right? But what if what if out of, out of a sudden you get 10, 10 new employees, right? So how do you really how do you really keep up with culture? How do you keep up with values? How do you keep up with vision? And I think that it's kind of like related to really having that person that really lives in the future and can bring that future to to the present, and really talk about it in every conversation. Um, but I want to know if there's any any other element that you think is really important to keep that culture aligned as you guys grow. And I mean, I mean, really growing fast, right? When you're growing slowly or it's one by one, maybe it's easier. But when it when it's fast, then I guess it's different, no?
1: No, it's really a good question or a good point too. At one point, we had a lot of people, um, you know, join the company at once, and majority of them were remote. Uh, uh, quite a few of them were internal to, to our headquarters, but you're absolutely right. There's a culture factor to this. Um, culture is so important. <laughs> like if you don't maintain a culture within the company, that's, you know, the same all around, then you're basically, this the standard thing they say you're only as good as your greatest or, or your weakest link. I believe that <clears throat> like, so maintaining a culture, um, I had to learn and I'm learning how to do that myself. One of the documentaries that really helped me see, um, how people can do that is the last dance. Have you seen that with Michael Jordan?
0: Yeah, of course.
1: Yeah. It's amazing. I've seen it like seven times. Um, it's so good because, Michael Jordan, you don't really know all that much about him. Like I didn't, I didn't grow up with bulls, you know, on top like that, but watching the documentary, he's just so good as an athlete that he's allowed to tell everybody to get it together when they're not. And, and then they respect him for that. Um, when he does say that, and, and that's his ability to tell that to the team or like if practice sucks or something is a version of keeping the culture airtight um and i think that like that comes from the top down i believe personally that if the t- the people at the top of the company don't have a culture of um you know grind and work hard and show up and do the stuff that really doesn't it sucks you know but you do it anyways if they do that then the tier below them will do it and then the tier below them will do it and then the ones that don't do it stand out like a a sore thumb and, and they're not meant to be in that company and that's okay, but it's better to weed those people out a for the company, I think, um, but also B for those people. Like if they don't want to be there, they're unhappy there. So it's just not a good fit. Um, so I think basically back to the Michael Jordan thing, if you want to have a company of just like really strong, united people, it's strong culture. I think the people that are leading the departments or the forces or the company need to be extremely good and really strong in order to lead because no one will take them seriously and uh if they are then people will follow the right people will follow
0: that's an awesome 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 way of of putting it lauren um you've been also the well you've been the, the head or director of business operations Operations is kind of like a headache for people that are not really used to it because of all the like things that happen in between and all the things that you have to solve in the way. Um, so I really wanna get your insight or your blue, your your like mental blueprint or on how exactly do you think about um, finding issues that are repetitive, finding issues that are from the same category, uh, let's say. What is the mental model that you use to find those fires in the daily operations of sports Thread?
1: I have learned that no one can really put a fire out effectively at scale, it seems, unless they've dealt with the problem themselves um, a lot of the time. So, for example, you know, I didn't understand all the logistical headaches and the emotional headaches and the um, just time the lack of time that comes with managing people like when I was being managed you know as just I didn't have anybody beneath me I didn't understand it and then I managed people and all of a sudden you understand it and you're like oh okay crap (laughs) like okay you know this I get I kind of get where they're coming from with this thing I could do it differently this and that right so that applies to everything Um, in operations in my opinion I think that if you're going to you know lead a department or lead a company, you probably should have been able to say that you've done those things yourself because then you understand the language of what's going on. And I don't, you know, that, that means all the little nuances that come with it. Um, people don't want to admit business is emotional, but business is super emotional. Um, like it really is because people do business with people that they like, you know, and, um, you know, managing people is an emotional thing because people are emotional beings. So if you sort of step back and understand like to scale a business typically takes people, you really have to be able to A, be managed first, be coachable, and then manage people if that's what you're doing. And then the people that you're managing, I think that you should probably have done what you're asking them to do uh, so that you can then assess what's going on. Like you said, take a step back. And say, you know, three of 10 people are struggling with this problem, right? Like assess that daily, if not weekly, kind of take a note of each person and then as a whole. And then my experience is that I do very, I I have a, a lot of success when you apply like answers to tools, meaning you want to use tools all the time, like videos, recording videos to answer questions because then you answer questions at scale right so you're putting out 20 fires with one video if the video is answering the questions that majority of people have but you have to do the work to figure out what the right questions are you have to have been there and understand what they're dealing with to be able to answer the question does that make sense
0: absolutely i think that and i've seen this also from from my consulting in a couple of companies that things that can can be repeated with no really variation in what what the, the content is really. There's, there's a lot of opportunity on creating content that is made to solve all the like small little questions or to really educate. This for instance is something that I, I used to recommend some clients is that they create a guide on how to like onboard the company so that you just give it to someone new Tell them, this is what you need to know. This is all the things that, you know, are going on. Things that you can really put into text, right? Because not ev- not everything you can teach. Not everything that happens in a company you can teach. But you can teach systems. You can teach platforms. You can teach um, uh, kind of like politics. You can teach like how communication works. Who is your boss? Who who can you answer to? And who can you like, who who, who, who should you go for, for questions? So I guess that really creating c- content to, you know, Massively uh, solve all all these like small little fires or small little like things that require time. It really just, it's just, it's just time that you save for yourself at the end of the day.
1: Well, and I exactly that. And also something that I've had to learn to do is, you know, I'm not, I'm not obviously Sean in this company. I'm not the CEO, uh, but to Sean's credit, he's given me a lot of autonomy in the company to be able well, A, because he doesn't have the time to be there to do all of it, but also he's trusted me with certain scenarios that I've proven I could be trusted in. Um, and I think that goes for every person, right? You, it, it's not cool to try to micromanage everybody. You have to sort of give them the tools to start in the foundation But I think the way that people start to hate their jobs or don't really understand how to put out fires for themselves is when they're expecting to be told what to do all the time, rather than like to be trusted to figure it out for themselves. So I think, like you said, building the systems in, having kind of like an obvious one, two, three, four, five, six steps, this is what we do. If there's a glitch in any of those, let's address it and then let's create a video about it or something like that to apply at scale but all right, next time, like, why don't you tell me what you would do? And like, I'd like to hear it, you know, and, and have them, um, have, have your people. I mean, it's a team, right? It's not like you're some kind of, you know, somebody on top, you're just merely guiding the team forward. And I think that's a really important thing for systems and putting out fires. Cause then everybody puts out their own fires, you know, cause they can't.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Massive shout out, by the way, to Sean, Larry, who is a a former guest of the Halftime Snacks. Um, And Lauren is talking wonders about you. So uh, (laughs) (laughs) massive shout out. Um, Lauren, let's talk about sources of leverage. I mean, you mentioned one of them, which is content uh, that you use either by video or by, you know, it can even be an email that you have the template and then you just use it once over again, once, you know, a, a, uh, a specific fire happens, you have this email that you just send out and that's going to solve it and put the fire out forever uh, until it comes again. Uh, but but what are other sources of leverage that you have in mind or that you use um, when specific fires in operations? And if you want to talk about specific operations, meaning internal or with clients or with uh, customers or within the network, things that happen and you, you already know what what is it what is the tool better maybe that's the better way of putting it? What are the tools that you use to put out fires when when they come out?
1: Yeah, it depends on from my experience the 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 problem, I suppose that you're dealing with because putting out a fire in let's say let's say sales, for example um you do enough sales in a certain industry, you start to know what the questions are going to be. Uh, you start to know what to say in advance to get around questions and you know how to combat them. Right. So let's say there's a fire where if you have 10 people on a sales team, um, that are all moving forward and they're trying to generate revenue, but three of these people again, you know, are having the same issue. Um, My opinion in that is to put out the fire, have the team get together as a whole and have the people that are, you know, not necessarily the leader or whatever, right? Everybody's leader, not, not the head of the department, let's say, uh, the people that are in that actual space and doing it well, explain to the the three that maybe are struggling a little bit what they could do differently. And then it's just as simple as like an FAQ, right? Putting things down on paper, uh, so that people can refer to that or to a video. Now let's say like with, with like hires, I would say uh, back to your question about um, culture, I think that you, there's a lot of fires that can be avoided if the culture is relatively you know, synonymous cross board. And um, I think that that just comes with hiring appropriately and then also making sure everybody's getting what they want out of it uh, as an employee. Um, but there's sort of this system that I've come across. It's like a quadrant system for quadrants. Um, A, B, C, and D is sort of how you would like categorize people, let's say, and it's not them as their character. It's their position in your company and their role and how they're navigating it. Uh, and you're going to categorize them to be able to just see their performance, not emotionally. It's just how it is on paper. Um, the first category is the best it's like a, um, that's the a employee or manager, whatever they are basically living by the rules of the system and they're producing, right? So they're doing the things that the system needs for them in their own way, but they're also producing. So they're killing it. Uh, B is somebody who is producing, but they're not really living by the rules. So that's a problem when you're trying to understand data. Because maybe they're producing money, let's say, but they don't log how they got there, or they don't necessarily input the data points as to, you know, this lead came from this source, or it took this many meetings, right? Or this was the pitch that was given, so on and so forth. So that's a B person producing with no rules. That's challenging to manage because, you know, they're not giving you what you need to see the big picture. Uh, A C person is, Basically they are living the rules, but they don't produce. So they're, they're doing the system and they're like that book smart person who's like getting a through Z done. But then when it comes to getting the results done, it's just not happening. And so you got to step back and see why, like what's going on there. And then this the D person would be no results and they're not living by the rules. Right. So Those categories, I think, help to, like, if somebody is maybe not, or something in a system maybe not performing the way it would need to be to get where the goal is, that helps to categorize what's going on, I think, a little bit more simply. And then um, you can basically put people and or processes into these categories as list forms. And then, Kind of narrow down where you need to focus and improve, or like get rid of, essentially, and that could be in processes and limiting those kinds of things. So that I that's an that's an answer that I think has been I've used it for different things in the company. I've used it for just different elements, even media relations, sales, partnerships, all around. But it's definitely helped me to simplify and um, organize.
0: No, and, and the thing that I like the most about what you're what you're telling us, Lauren, which I think is super valuable, um, is that instead of thinking how can I put fires off, let's mm-hmm. th- let's think how can I prevent fires from starting, right? Yeah. And and I love how you mentioned like hiring. This is it. It really just brings me back to a mental model by uh, Charlie Munger, uh, popular investor. That he said, uh, it, it, it's called inversion, and it means don't think about how how can you make money, just think about how you uh, how to avoid losing money, right? So right. It's, it's, it's 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 you can do more by av- avoiding losing than you can do by trying to win. So I guess that this really translates to to kind of like this um, template that you use or this model that you that you have that really helps you uh, make probably better decisions when it comes to dealing with fires or even preventing fires from from starting um, before before they start.
1: Yeah, and I mean I I personally believe that people are really capable of stuff as long as they're given as long as they feel acknowledged and you know everybody's going to say like oh it's not about feelings but it 100% is. Like if you don't feel like you are acknowledged in the business that you're spending 8 9 10 hours a day doing, you're not going to want to be there. And you're not going to do the little things that are required of you to bring yourself forward, but also your team forward, and that's going to make it really hard for the people managing you, because then the system's broken. So I believe that if you give people the autonomy, give them the give them the tools, make the system as clear as you can, allow them to have ownership over the system because it is their system. You know they are doing it, um, and and have them understand why they're doing it then I think you're going to prevent fires because then those people are tuned into like, Oh, this is a fire. Like, how do we solve this? Instead of like, I don't know. This went wrong. I guess we'll just have them figure it out. (laughs) (laughs) So that's a good way. Like you said of preventing the fires from happening because other people are bought into, all right, the goal is to get to here. We have a few roadblocks, but how do we all as a team get past those, you know?
0: So so many takeaways, Lauren. This this has been amazing. Uh, I want to get also your insight, kind of like on the marketing side, because that's also part of what you've you've been doing for Sports Thread, um, in your time there. So, how about you can maybe rank uh the relevance of the different marketing and growth strategies that you've you've gone through and that you've used for specifically for sports threat right because this might vary uh between different uh sports technology startups and platforms but what has really worked for you guys in terms of like comparing media relations uh licensing social media uh traditional advertisement uh, advertising and other forms of marketing that you can think about maybe just rank them in how how efficient have they been from the best one to maybe the less efficient one what what would be the rank uh in your mind
1: yeah another really good question because they all are marketing tools um and i think the thing to say before i rank it is they're all achieving something a little bit different even though they are generally marketing um so as far as let's say like media relations um, Media is interesting because, you know, when I spoke with the LA Times or USA Today, like ESPN or smaller ones, uh, like Arizona Republic or was it Arizona Central Um, and a few others, it, you're, you're showcasing your brand and your product in a way that is um, unique and interesting to an audience, not even necessarily an audience that wants to use it. But it's an, it's an interesting, um, story that you're, you're giving the reporter or the journalist about what's happening in the grand scheme of the industry that you're involved with and then how your business or your role has a piece of that, you know? And so I think that's incredibly essential because you, even though people might not read the newspapers like they used to, uh, it, which. that could be a bad thing, whatever it is, like there still is value to having your company's name attached to these large entities. And that even if you don't read the article, there's a lot of value to that. Um, definitely. So I think in terms of grand, like scope, reaching the most people, media relations for sure, because whether they use the product or not, it's, qualifying your brand and your company to a whole lot of people and it's just like advertising touch points matters to just consumers in any way the more times they see halftime snacks you know the more times they're going to want to listen it's going to happen over time right so everybody's doing it i think that's the best and the biggest way to get the most people at one time is media relations so uh that's great i think that um uh advertisements really only as valuable as the messages to the person seeing it. So I know one of the reasons that our ads are as strong as they are, is that we are able to segment out the the person receiving them pretty, pretty darn well. Um, so if you're going to send it to an athlete, that message is for an athlete versus a coach that message is for a coach. So I, I think, um, You know, advertising is such a bummer (laughs) because it's so expensive and we all hate doing it, but you have to do it because it, again, it's touch points. It's no different than media relations. You have to do it. But I don't think that the usage of the product or, you know, adoption of the brand happens unless the ad is specifically for that person receiving it. Beyond that, I also believe that an advertisement should have value in the ad. Um, someone who does very well with this is Tom Billiou, I believe it is, at Impact Theory. Um, he it, He's an amazing entrepreneur, but he in his ads gives you like five minutes of content that actually helps you. And so then you want to actually be a part of what he's talking about and pay the 10 grand because he just gave you stuff. So the advertising part is very helpful in the sense that it's more touch points. It's also very broad, like media relations, but I, if you want it to actually get it to people to convert, which is usually the goal, make it extremely valuable to the person you're reaching and bring value in the ad too, in my opinion. Um, the licensing, that's something that I think is just dependent on the company, how they do it. Uh, you know, we don't license out the thread brand to, you know, other companies to use or anything. So I can't speak on that, but I've seen it do very well for companies um like fanatics and stuff you know that's crazy huge so that works very well for them but that's just not really our field and then um
0: it's probably a very broad question because marketing itself and growth itself means a lot of things right you you get brand awareness you get uh brand development you get um Mm -hmm. you know sales even 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 their uh growth as a platform and growth as users and growth also as money and monetization so it's kind of like there's there's a lot of like points where where uh this this might cover and this is a very broad question right but if you could choose one the one that really has um Impacted the most, would it be uh, media relations? Would you say?
1: Um, pro- probably media relations, in my opinion. You know, I'm also biased because I've done it, <laughs> but I think that it accomplishes a lot in a very short amount of time. Um, you know, whether that's fundraising or, you know, selling advertising. Uh, if in our case, getting new users on the app, it does help to have LA Times touting Sports Thread. That's a good thing, um, and so yeah, my opinion would be that I do think that um, I'll I'll say this: the Gary V. approach, you know, of how he went back in the day and did the wine. You know, the story about his dad um, having the winery, and he went in and tweeted at people about wine. I mean, that is as organic as it gets, and I think that's a form of advertising, one hundred percent. Personally, I think that's probably the most effective of everything because it doesn't matter how broad you are, how many followers you have. So much of it comes down to engagement. And if you're willing to do a one-on-one organic reach with people, which is exactly what he did, uh, which is exactly why he's as big as he is. Cause he spent the hours of time doing that. That's the most effective. So I would say definitely the one-to-one getting your, uh, that someone very close to me told me that. Uh, They were told by other very successful, you know, billionaires, basically, that if you get 1,000 people to really buy into your brand and your product, 1,000, then you will scale because those 1,000 people bring in the scaling for you because they're so bought in. So find those people through these organic reaches and advertising or just really being engaged with them and that will accomplish that now if you want the big picture revenue you know fundraising media relations so it's just different things you're accomplishing
0: yeah i love it i love it 1000 through friends is uh i think anderson horowitz i'm not so so sure uh but Mm -hmm. yeah i I love that uh lauren this has gone so fast we've learned so much from you uh from your role and from your experience it has been amazing can't leave without asking you a more personal question uh and that is Suppose you have enough money to make a sizable charitable donation. Uh, How would you spend this money in a philanthropic way? What would you choose?
1: That's a good uh, good question. Um, Yeah, I think that uh, one day I would like to make my own charity. I'm really passionate about uh, helping people that have been sex trafficked, particularly women and kids. Um, I think, I mean, it's actually one of it's, 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 one of the largest businesses in the world, unfortunately. Um, and it's just so common through social mediums. I mean, I work at a social networking platform and, you know, we're like amazing about protecting our network. There's a lot of companies out there that, that it's just so big, they can't. Um, so I think that it would be amazing to be a part, create a company that would like we were talking about prevent uh, the situation from happening rather than putting out the fires. And I think that there can be a lot, there's a lot that can be done by educating women um, in other countries and in the States. There's, a, there's proof, there's data on if you educate women and make them more autonomous in their lifestyle. Uh, they have their own businesses, they have their own income, they have their own network and community. That means that they can better care for themselves and they're not reliant. And they also make better choices for themselves. And that helps to diminish Sex trafficking of women and then also their children. Um, so I would love to be involved in that space. I will be at some point, but uh, <laughs> you know, it's a little down the road. But that's that's probably what I would do.
0: Uh, that's amazing, Lauren. Thank you so much for sharing. I'm sure that you you'll eventually get there uh, soon. And I want to thank you so much for again taking my invitation and joining me. Uh, keep it up. Keep telling us how you put out fires in business and in life. <laughs> and uh, hope hope hopefully we'll get to have another conversation like this uh, on the halftime snacks sometime soon. But in the meantime, Lauren, just want to say thank you so much for coming. Thank you very much for tuning in. If you enjoy this episode, hit the subscribe button and leave a review on Apple Podcasts. If you enjoy learning about the business and technology behind sports, make sure you subscribe to the Sports Tech Biz newsletter. I'll leave the link in the show notes. See you all next week. Bye-bye.